Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to my third annual Broadway debut episode. This episode features Becca Lee, Eric Anthony Johnson, and Katerina Papakostas. Good afternoon. I'm very excited because right now we are recording my third annual Broadway debut episode. We're here at Chetler Studios, who uh, donates the time for us. So I'm sitting across from Becca Lee, who's in the prom, Katerina Papakostas, that is in Tootsie, and Eric Anthony Johnson, who is in Beetlejuice. So I, I can't believe that you guys are here. Beck and I did Music Man together in Algonquin. Cat yep. and I played opposite each other mm-hmm. in White Christmas up at Northern, Northern Stage. Stage. Eric and I did Sacramento Music Circuit together. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that not only have I kind of known, especially Beck, I've known since you were really young, to watch you guys all flourish, and I've seen all of your shows just in the past couple weeks. Just go around, and we'll, I'll start with uh, you, Becca. So where are you from, and how'd you get started? I'm from Indiana, which is kind of funny because the prom is set there. I started out as a competitive gymnast and didn't really dance till I was 12 or so, but I always knew I wanted to be on Broadway. My mom had records of Annie and things like that that we had around the house, so I was listening to musicals growing up for years. I did community theater in, in Indianapolis and did some shows at school and show choir and all that stuff, but Right when I graduated high school, I came to New York and I danced for the Knicks. So I have like weird things that I did. Um, And then I was like, oh, you can't do that and do regional theater. So then I started doing regional theater. And then it's like, I toured with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh my God. Weird things, yeah. I did like MTV's America's Best Dance Crew, but always wanted to do Broadway. And it took me a while to get here, but I'm finally here. Wait, that sounds like a lot to do when you're really young. How old were you when you started doing um, all this? Well, I moved here when I was 18, and I'm older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> so, I always tell people on Instagram because I have a lot of younger followers too, and I want them to know that it sometimes takes more years than you think it's going to. But I joke with everyone, I'm like, I'm older than 27, I'll tell you that. I'm playing a high schooler in the show, so you know what I mean? It feels a little... Well, you look like a high schooler. Well, thank you. From a distance, hopefully. Yeah, so that's the roundabout quick story of how I got here. And were your family completely supportive? My mom has always been very supportive. Growing up, my dad would be like, don't you want to go into uh, pharmaceutical sales? I'm like, no, no. But I did go to Rutgers. I went to school in New Jersey for psychology because my parents were like, we don't really want you majoring in musical theater or acting. Like, we think you can still do that without having that degree. So they wanted me to have something to fall back on. But in my head, I knew I was never going to use that. So I loved the college experience. I did the dance team there and had fun with that. But they were supportive, but also didn't really want me to go to school for musical theater, weirdly. And I'm glad that you listened to your parents, <laughs> but you also followed your dreams. Yeah, thanks. You know, so that's great. So Kat, how about you? I grew up like an hour outside of New York. So I grew up coming, I didn't, I didn't really know what regional theater was. I didn't know it was a thing because I thought the only place you could do theater was in New York on Broadway. And oh. I was like, this is going to be very challenging because <laughs> that's a giant leap to make. And uh, I ended up going to NYU. My parents were 
are not in the arts, they didn't understand it, and it was just sort of like that question after junior year, like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, this is all I want to do. So um, I grew up dancing and doing theater at school and stuff. But I went to NYU for voice and music, and they were like, that sounds more academic in our minds, and I could minor in like law and sociology, so they felt a little better about it. You minored in law and sociology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh awesome. my gosh. It was funny. There were some of my favorite classes, like constitutional law. It was really interesting. Very um, poignant right now. <laughs> very poignant at this time. <laughs> It feels like it's been relentlessly poignant. I started doing a lot of regional gigs. I luckily got my equity card right outside of school. What'd you get your equity card for? Uh, I did a chorus line at North Shore. Oh, yeah. very nice. In the round, I've only done a chorus line in the round a twice. Chorus round. Wow. A chorus circle. I've only ever done it in <laughs> the chorus round. Chorus circle. <laughs> so, who did you play? Um, I played BB both times. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I did a lot of regional gigs. I had a couple of Broadway tours. I did Evita with Eric, and I did um, Kinky Boots, and playing Nicola, which was really fun last year, or a couple years ago now. But I, you know, I got this call on my 30th birthday, so it took me, it took me a nice amount of time. Wow. A, a wonderfully, like, chock-full 10 years, but still a nice little, nice little decade, so. And so, yeah. when you were younger, how much training did you do uh, dance and voice? Were you doing it all, like? I grew up taking dance classes, but never was, like, a shining star, you know, in like the competitive world. I just did it for fun and I enjoyed it. And then in high school, I had a, a choir teacher who told my parents that I needed to have voice lessons. And she was the real reason. She got me like my classical chops. And then when I went to school, I studied mostly opera and classical voice. So like, that's sort of where I got, I didn't get my training until sort of later on down the line. Right. Yeah. Well, that's when you were supposed to. Uh, yeah, it was meant to be. It was yeah. meant to be, yeah. Yep. How about you, Mr. Anthony me. Johnson? I grew up in a town called Essexville, Michigan. My story is exactly that character in a chorus line, that <laughs> I can be that guy. My sister took dance lessons and I wanted to be just like her, so I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then I just fell into it that way and headed out east to college at the Boston Conservatory. Out there I got my equity card working at the ART, because it's in Boston. And while I was in school, I was able to go to school and then do a show there during Diane Paulus' first year there. Oh, wow. So it like worked out very nicely. Well, that really helped. That's all we know. <laughs> okay. um, and then I moved to New York, of course, like everyone else. And I did some tours and some regional gigs. And Broadway came as kind of like a, not a shock, like that's obviously, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I assume that was everyone's goal, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got my Broadway debut after working like my most long-term survival job. Um, I worked as a costume PA on Jesus Christ Superstar Live, and I was like very close to the biz, but fully in a different sector of like, my performing shoes were like on a shelf somewhere. I had an injury that I was recovering from, from a show that I had done before, and I was like, okay, this is a good like, take a step away, see what else is there. And I was like, oh, you know what, I got this audition, I guess I'll go, and this was for the out-of-town Beetlejuice. And then it just like worked out in this random, random way, and I'm so thankful for it, and it's a dream come true. Oh, that's so great, awesome. I love that. Wait, so, where did you get your equity card for? Doing a production of Cabaret at the ART. Oh. A very gender-bendy cabaret, Amanda Palmer of the Dresden Dolls, of this like rock band, played the MC. She's very oh, yeah. cool, she's married to Neil Gaiman who's an author and wrote like Coraline and all these like dark fantasy delicious novels. And I think I know your answer, but where'd you get your equity card? Doing the show with you! I thought, yeah. that's what I thought, because I remember that, but then I saw the Instagram post. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yep, amazing man. That's, uh, I don't put play Yes, and you were an amazing Zanita. Thank you, you, really you were amazing. That was oh. such a great Time. It's one of my favorite experiences yeah. doing that show, and also there. Like, that's when regional theater is great when you. Oh part God. of the pay is the location. Yeah. Oh as cold as it was in Vermont, it was beautiful. I would never was, go, go there oh my God. without a show. And I was like, this is awesome. You yeah. know, yeah. And I'm actually going back to Sacramento this week, so 
I get to like play there again. Oh, you're doing Drowsy, right? Yes, I am. Oh, cool. Very oh, excited. Oh my God, Very I love that show. So Eric, question, this, these questions are open for everyone to answer. So did you deal with bullying as being a young man and... Oh my God, yes, of course. I was the gayest <laughs> kid in my high school. Like, <laughs> with not any negative connotation, just every stereotype I fell into. And, and oh, I loved going to the Goodwill as like a teenager and just like making my own clothes of like taking like secondhand things and like stitching them together weird. The early 2000s were very weird for anyone listening. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, of course. But I will tell you this, this is gonna sound backwards, but I am thankful for being bullied because it kind of solidified my convictions and like who I wanted to be in the world and what I wanted to do. Because if there is an obstacle to that and you still choose to do what you're gonna do, it just, makes it that much stronger and more fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. So I was like, yeah, I love to dance. I'm gonna dance. This is cool. Well, I know, Becky, you play a mean girl. Not in Mean Girls, but you're a mean girl in the prom. Yeah. You're very mean, actually. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but have you guys dealt with mean girls in your life? I mean, have the real ones? Um, yeah. I mean, I've definitely dealt with mean girls in life, especially in middle school. I was made fun of a lot. Like, I, I mean, I had enormous glasses and, like, my teeth looked very interesting in middle school. <laughs> I had braces twice, like, things like that. But high school was fine. I mean, compared to a lot of people, everyone gets bullied in middle school, for sure. And high school also. I went to a different high school and things were better then. But it, it was, I always had great dance friends or people in activities outside of school that kept me okay, but nothing terrible. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. so I'm lucky. I know in this current environment that we have the, the Me Too issue, I mean, as uh, two beautiful young ladies and, and a handsome man, oh, have you yes. dealt with sexual harassment? I mean, has it been something that you've had to deal with in this industry or outside of this industry? I mean, yeah, I, I've definitely experienced it. I also, a lot, I, for my survival job, I bartended for a long time. Okay. You know, but it's, the environment is what it is, and so you just learn to hold your own, and, but I also find it can be, the lines can blur in theater. It's a tricky thing to navigate, but yeah. as long as you just, I think people are afraid to just not be offended and just speak clearly sometimes, like just address it and, and sort of say what you need to say. Well, I see all of you eating pretty healthy. How do you deal with body image and, I mean, everything is skinnier and skinnier and, you know what I mean, and more feminine and guys are butcher and shirtless. I mean, have you guys dealt with that or do you guys focus on, on things for health reasons and for talent reasons or do you, have you had to fall into that, I have to look just as good as the guy with the biceps? Let me just say this for anyone listening. Social media is a lie. It is curated. There are apps and filters. No one is as happy or as skinny as they may look on the internet. Yeah. Unless you meet them firsthand and then, well, we're all screwed. Yes, there is this ideal body image. But then if we went around the table of what we all thought our ideal body image was, we would all be different. It's this weird, invisible bar that has been set, and it's different in everyone's mind. Yeah. So, I, I'm not speaking for anyone, but for myself, I know that I only do things to feel good about myself. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes french fries make me feel very good about myself. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, because when I see a show, the more, the more variety of body types, the more I'm engaged because it, it doesn't feel as fake. You mean, it feels like, oh, these are real people in real situations. They are office workers. They are high school teachers, as opposed to, these are all models pretending to be ghosts. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> Don't you yeah. love sometimes, like, when you see something and you're like, oh, I guess 
the, the family tree in the, that town is very much the same. Everyone's hair <laughs> looks exactly the same. Like TV shows where they're like run of the mill and they're like, everyone is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in certain shows, like all the guys were shirtless and Cher, the Cher show, and they were playing backup dancers for Cher. Yeah. That makes sense, but other shows, you're like, I mean, are there a lot of gyms in Indiana where, where your show takes place? I mean, there are a lot of gyms. I do have to say, doing Casey's choreography in the prom, like, you are going to be the most fit you've ever been in your life, whether you want to be or not. And for me, I have a very specific healthy diet for health reasons, and I have to eat specific things to get through our show. Mm. Like, it's really hard, and we have one million stairs backstage oh. that we're going up and down the whole time, too. And it's like, I have wedge sneakers that I wear that are so heavy, why? And I'm dancing them, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> God. So for me right now, it's like, I just gotta take care of myself to get through the show. Right. And the result of doing the show and eating, like, I'm in pretty good shape for that reason, and no other reason, you know? So yep. it's kind of like, Thanks, Broadway. Oh, <laughs> it's no. hard work, but I'm in good shape right now because yeah. I have to be. It's yeah. my job. Mm -hmm. Do you guys work out outside of the shows besides like your own personal warm-up, or do you, you still take classes? I mean, as of right now, all your shows just open, and you just did the Tony Award, so the fact that you guys are here is amazing. So, I mean, like in a month or so, I do think you'll be able to, you'll have time to add that, or are the shows just exhausting? I personally cannot work out on, in addition to the show. Some people do every day. I can't, because if I did work out, I would not be able to give 100% to the show. It just, it literally takes all my energy. It's like a hit workout, like high energy interval training. I mean, the whole time. So I personally can't, some people do, that's right. just me. Yeah. Fortunately, actually Tootsie in Chicago had a, just like one whole number more of intensity as far as dance went that got sort of pared down for storytelling reasons as it should have been in New York. So it's actually not quite as intense as it used to be, but still I find that I do work out at least like five or six days a week on top of the show. Wow. Yeah, but also I think <laughs> dancing at 31 is different than dancing at 26, and so I, I'm learning my body again because I hadn't done a dance role in a while. I need to work out and stay strong in other ways in order to do the show. So it's a lot of partnering, a lot of our partnering is with these very heavy 30-pound dresses, so oh. It's a lot of like, oh, wow. and it's a corset, so like I can't oh, always oh, right, my right. core. Yeah, yeah, so it just adds it adds a lot of elements that like it re actually requires more strength than it does just like aerobic energy. But I actually find like working out when I'm not in a show is the harder part. When I'm in a show and I'm, my, my momentum's going and there's a schedule, it's easier. But when you're auditioning and your life is living in that more sporadic place, that's the harder time I find to stay fit because there is that pressure. And part of it is legitimate, like. We're on stage, we are being at, we're asking people to look at us, so there's an aesthetic that needs to be there, especially as like a dancer mm -hmm. and a woman. Mm -hmm. But part of it is also like you have to find that balance between it being your job and it also not consuming you and defining you as like an artist. Yeah. And I did used to be a fitness instructor before I was doing this show, so that kind of like, I was like, that's gonna keep me in shape and training for Broadway while making money, so that mm -hmm. worked out. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how about you, Eric? I work out almost every day just because I'm a swing, so I don't have the luxury of being in a track eight times a week or the same track to like build my stamina and keep on top of it that way. Like our, the way Beetlejuice is structured, all of the dance numbers, all the production numbers happen in the second act. So it's kind of like shot out of a cannon for the ensemble in the second act, where the first act functions more as like a book musical, and then it gets full Broadway. <laughs> so, anyway, I have to work out to just keep myself at a physical level that like, should I be on in the next show? Mm. It's not the worst experience of my life just physically, because I'm out of shape. Well, you started this conversation before. How did Beetlejuice come into your life? 
you took your dance shoes off the shelf after being on a hiatus. I just wanted to try something new. You know, I, I'm thankful for every, legitimately, this isn't just like us sitting around a table. I'm legitimately thankful for every performing job I've ever had. They've all taught me something. They let me flex a muscle that I clearly needed to flex as far as wanting to be on stage and perform. Like that bug has always been in me. I had come off of my sixth national tour, which was, again, lucky. The prerequisite is like thankful for all of the jobs. But I, I wasn't able to crack into the next thing of doing something new. I was always doing like a tour of a show that existed. While I'm happy to stand on 14, I would obviously love the chance to be like, well, maybe I should be at 12. Maybe my character would be here. Yeah. Maybe, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've never had the opportunity to create. And so when Beetlejuice happened, it felt like such an opportunity. And I just felt so, so thankful to have the opportunity to be in a room where things are being created and not just being recycled or upcycled. So yeah, I had hung up my shoes, essentially, just to try something new. It was a, a random job in the costume world that fell into my lap in this weird way. And I was like, change, let's just try change. And of course I needed the money and, and it was really exciting. And John Legend is a legend, as is Sarah Bareilles. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. It's a, it, they were so much fun and I had a great time doing the costumes, being a part of it, not doing them. That was Paul's house. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paul. I just tried to take credit for your work. And so how hard was the audition process? You had auditions and callbacks and then out of town? It was both long and very succinct. It's so funny to think that this new show, but because it was in flux, it wasn't like a, they have to do this, 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 and this. It was just kind of like, everyone come as you are. We were given a song that's no longer in the show. There used to be a boy band number called Everything is Kind of Meh, which was this, this boy band, when they got to the netherworld, kind of like infomercial JetBlue flight directions of like, what are the rules of the netherworld? But they literally were like, you can sing it in this key or in this key. You can blah, blah, blah. There's a rap in the middle of it. There's like, it was so build your own adventure because they wanted a group of individuals. They didn't want cookie cutter like, all right, now here's our six ensemble men. Here they go. So everyone is very different. It's super cool. A couple callbacks, you know, just kind of being like, is what I'm doing right? And then I got the call on my dog's birthday, which is randomly the same day that we opened Beetlejuice on Broadway. So I feel like my dog is my good luck charm. Yeah, I'm also that. obsessed with my dog, so. I love that. <laughs> he is on Instagram a lot. He is on Instagram. He has a giant tongue. At I love tongue. <laughs> So did you just freak out when you answered the phone? Or? I freaked out. You know, I, I had worked with a choreographer before who is the genius, the lovable, delightful Connor Gallagher. So it felt where I worked at Northern Stage with him. I've, I've gotten to do a couple of things with, and this is his choreographic debut. He was in Beauty and the Beast as a performer when that was on Broadway. And so it just kind of felt homey and fun to be like, we're making our Broadway debuts together, but you choreographed it. And I'm in it. <laughs> Kat, you mentioned you got the call on your 30th birthday. How did the audition process come into your life? Um, actually, from our Northern State show. So this was five years, now six years, but it was five years before Andrea, our conductor, was our conductor for White Christmas. Really? And she was doing the reading. Um, she's, she had, she's also the music director and conductor of The Band's Visit, so she'd worked with Mr. Yazbek before. Okay. And so David had her on this as well, and she, I had not spoken to her, and I, her and I had kind of kept in touch, but we hadn't spoken in a few years. 
I just got from my agents the offer to do the reading for Tootsie. And I looked at the list and I was like, I don't know anybody involved except for Andrea. I can only imagine she's the reason I'm doing this, but she didn't reach out to me or anything. I just got the offer from my agents. Turns out she had just like thought of me, plucked me out of you know her hat of like of people, and brought me into the reading. And then right after this was the last reading of the of however many readings over six years, right before they started auditions for Chicago. So then I went right into the audition process, kind of knowing the show and knowing the team now. You know, it took me a, a while from graduating school to like make my Broadway debut, but I do feel like part of that. Just like you were saying, not disingenuously, very genuinely. Like every contract meant so much and helped me grow so much. And I feel like the two women that I understudy are ages, you know, sort of nebulous 30 something and then around 37. And I would never be able to understudy those women. And that's sort of like where my, like I feel like I've grown into the parts that I will now feel most comfortable, you know, understudying and hopefully eventually playing. And so it felt like two women, two characters that I really related to and really liked in a show that I really loved that now I had this weird in with from having done the reading. and. So I got the call, but similarly, I had sort of just almost hung up my tap shoes as well. I went to software engineering school and was teaching software engineering, and I was wow. like getting ready to sort of walk away, to be wow. honest. Because, you know, after so much time, I was like, I had such a wonderful career. Like, my husband and I are starting to like think about our life, and maybe we want to be in warmer climes in L.A., and, you know, maybe. And now this tech thing that I, didn't, that I was doing for survival, and now I really, really, really love software engineering. It's awesome. Highly recommend it. Wow. It's really creative. And so I was like, maybe this is it. And then I was like, I could, and then I could go through this audition process with just a little bit of a different attitude. I just suddenly had this, this other part of my life that was keeping me grounded and fulfilled outside of our business, and I, I, I think it made it, took the pressure off the audition process. My husband threw me a surprise 30th birthday party, and hung over and dreary-eyed the next morning, I got a call from my agent. Oh my god, yeah. that's so, so exciting. It, yeah, it was really, it was surreal. It was really, really, um, and now it's just been one like dream after another. It's like uh, original cast album. You know, we got to do opening night. A lot of people make their Broadway debuts and don't get to originate a show, so I got yeah. to like do that whole process, and the Tonys, and Good Morning Mary. It's literally been like, check, check, check. Isn't that if, wild? I forgot about all this stuff. Like, in one fell swoop, just. Yeah. Yeah. If we do the Thanksgiving Day Parade, I can die at Christmas and like Yay! I will have lived a full life. Like I everything I've ever wanted yes. will have happened. It's so true. You already I, did it. You yes. Did. But I was I, I was oh, just right, thinking about that right. the other day. Like we have checked off literally every single box. I'm like, I'm good. Like it's got really lucky. Yeah. Uh, with the show. And you got a lot of good press and weird press and just press press from uh, the beautiful lesbian kiss on Thanksgiving Day Parade. Absolutely, yeah. Was that weird because like you guys realized that you were pushing the envelope? You, I mean, they must have known that you were going to get that reaction. Yeah, I think they did. But the good thing is that for the negative comments that we got, we got so many more positive comments that right. came out of that, which was really lovely. But the first time ever that it was an LGBTQ kiss on Thanksgiving Day Parade and how awesome to be a part of that. Oh so, my god. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I cried. Well, I mean, I saw your show, I cried like five times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see it tomorrow because I'm seeing it again tomorrow and Yay! I might not cry as much. Because <laughs> I, you know, I was just like, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, especially because it's fun because I know people. And so I was like, yeah. and I'm LGBTQA, I'm all of those things. So yeah. I was like, so crying. So yeah. tell me how this came into your life, the prom. Because you started even with the laugh. Yeah, so I've been on the prom journey for a long time. So we did the first lab in 2015, and I went to an ECC, Equity Chorus Call, on a Friday morning. Yes, I remember I woke up and was like, oh, I don't feel like going to an audition today. And I was like, hmm, this sounds interesting. It was called the Untitled Prom Musical at the time. So I went in, they did a quick type, and then seven callbacks later, over like months 
it was months of auditions. I was in Las Vegas for the first time ever for my mom's birthday and got a call in the middle of the casino that I had booked like the first lab. But I was thrilled at that point because that was like the biggest thing ever. I'm like, Casey Nicola and these people and the cast, like Beth Level, are you kidding me? So I was like crying in the casino. I was so excited. And then we did Atlanta, the out-of-town tryout in 2016 at the Alliance Theater. And then it was this thing of like, is it coming to Broadway? When's it coming to Broadway? It is, it isn't, it is, it isn't. So it was like a roller coaster. Like really excited and then no it's not. Yes it is. We did another lab in 2018. But at that time, it was one of those times where we were told it wasn't happening. Mm. So it was during the summer. I'm in my living room on the couch. I also was really about to just do something else in my life. I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, I love that you found something you love. That's amazing. Like, but I didn't know what what I would do. And then my agent called and was like, "So I have something that might make your week." Um, <laughs> you got an offer to do prom on Broadway, and I'm like, what? Because I thought it wasn't happening. Like, that's what I had been told. Yeah. So I was just crying uncontrollably. I called my mom, and she was like, are you in the hospital? Like, you sound like you're dying. I'm like, no! It was the best. But we still had several months until we started. So, of course, you're still like, okay, I need to stay alive until this starts. Like, that's what I thought. I was like, I'm being extra careful crossing the street. I swear. I was like, we opened in November. So, it was like a four-year thing. Wow. And I'm just really grateful that I got to be along the whole time because it really doesn't happen very often. No. Well, it's yeah. interesting because, especially in the ensemble, yeah. they don't guarantee you from one no. lab to the other. So, no. that's... That's frustrating, and I don't think. Absolutely. I, mean, I like years ago worked with Beth Level, and she was doing Casey a favor, and I was like, "Wow, this is really nice of you." She's like, "I want to do the prom," and I was like, "You're Beth Level, like." I know. You, that she what if Chris Jenner wants to be on Broadway? Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> I mean, seriously, it is crazy to hear that from celebrities it. like that. It is. Like yeah. so that that even Beth Level is like, fingers crossed. You're like, what? I know. <laughs> we have no hope, like ever. I know. Always <laughs> gonna be like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I knew she's like the starriest star that could ever come backstage. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, so true. Oh, so tell me about your opening night. Tell me about first the Gypsy Run, because that's and the first preview, because that's kind of your, your that's brought your Broadway debut and your opening night. Yeah, first preview. So Casey was really awesome, and before we did the show, he brought there's 13 Broadway debuts in our oh, show. So God. he brought all of us in front of the curtain. It was like they're all making their Broadway debuts, and of course I'm like crying. I cried everything. I don't just let you know, but it was like a really special moment and amazing that he did that for us. And then I just remember like there is a moment toward the beginning of the show where there's a scene that we freeze. And the first time we had an audience there, I was like shaking so much because it was like excitement and adrenaline. Like I can't believe I'm on Broadway, and I was just like, mm. <laughs> but it was great. It was the best moment ever. Uh, and did, wasn't there a snowstorm on your opening night? Opening night, there was a huge snowstorm. We had to start the show almost an hour and a half late because oh musicians and a lot of people actually live in Jersey. I live in Jersey, but I had an Airbnb in the city during that time because it's like crazy during tech and everything. I think some of the sound people didn't even make it, so we had people there trying to work it that didn't even know um, the track necessarily, and we're like, well, this is what it's gonna be. So we all made it through. Yeah. Crazy snowstorm, but it was exciting. Oh. And Kat, how was your first preview and your opening night? It was surreal. The first preview was the most emotional for me, and I think opening night was just a lot more fun because after it's so exciting, I didn't realize that you have a month of previews before you open. So by the time you open, you're like, this is just, I know what I'm doing now. This is really fun and exciting. <laughs> um, first preview was like just, I was very, very emotional leading up to it, but I think for the first time in my career, I wasn't nervous. I just felt like really at peace and excited and 
I felt grateful that I got to do the Chicago run so that it wasn't full of unfamiliarity. It was really very, you know, with a group of people that I got to know very well and loved. It's a really special cast of comedians and hooligans. And so they, that felt very safe and wonderful. And it was a show that I knew and loved well. And I don't know, it just, it made me grateful for it taking the time that it did because I could stand there without panic. I could stand there with just pure gratitude. And the whole show, I think, was the most fun I've ever had on stage. That's amazing. Like from start to finish. Just I love that. yeah. And then Jim Way, one of our uh, another ensemble member, right as we're I was I kept my shit together, I didn't cry, I was just having a great time, and then right before bows, during as the last scene was happening on stage, he sort of called me backstage and he goes, Hey, when you bow tonight, just just take a moment for yourself. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> 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 And we have dancing bows that are supposed to be all hysterical and ridiculous, and I'm just like crying and hopping like a bunny. It was really if you haven't seen the show, it'll make sense. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was, and then I didn't also realize my parents' seats, my whole family was there, my brother and sister, my uncle flew in, he happened to be there from California, my husband, and my best friend, and they were all three rows, like, in the third row, right in front of where I bowed, so I just walked into the line and saw their faces and lost my shit, yeah. Oh, I love that. It was really, yeah, magic from start to finish. Yeah. Well, Eric, bad circumstances for someone else, but good circumstances for you. Yeah. You, as a swing, you opened oh the my show. God, I didn't know I, that. Yeah, I lucked out where I got to do the, the first preview and open. I ended up being on that whole time. You were on when I saw it. Yeah. There's nothing like it. I, we could all go around and talk about all those magical moments. Same as you, Kat. It, it, there was a, wasn't a moment of like, oh, I'm nervous. What if? What if? It was just kind of like taking it all in of how lucky that I get to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing like being on a Broadway stage, especially because so many of them have so much history. Um, as far as what originated there, what happened, you know, Beetlejuice is in the Winter Garden Theater, where in my apartment right now I have two albums that were recorded there. One's Lies, I agree, but the other one is off the top of my head. But then you go down all the Broadway musicals that were there. Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand was there. The original West Side was there. Follies was there. So many amazing things. Cats for two decades, three decades. So just to be on that stage is such a, a privilege in and of itself. And there's no, there's nothing like the first audience. Because you, you spend so much time in a studio first, hoping that what you're doing is, is good and can reach someone. And then you go into tech where you're by yourselves, literally just delivering your material to the abyss of a dark room. <laughs> and then people show up and you're like, oh, you like this. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like, comedies. Yeah. Especially comedies. Delivering. There's nothing better than delivering a joke to someone for the hundredth time. Crickets. Crickets. Oh. Yeah. Well, when I saw it, there was people dressed up like as Lydia in the red wedding gown. I mean, their audience was oh, crazy. Shit. People were in striped coats. The audience was dressed That's up fun. to see people. It's a good time. It is a good time. People go full force. Our fans are amazing, and they're so kind and cool, and they bring the most thoughtful artistic gifts to the stage door of things you'd never even think of. I think people really identify with the strange and unusual and homespun and aesthetic that is Tim Burton musicalized. I loved it. So Becca, on top of being in the ensemble, dancing your face off, but you also got to create a role, and it's Kaylee, one of the mean girls. The mean girl, yeah. So how is that actually getting to not only create a dance track, but you know what I mean, Create, put your stamp on a role that's going to be done forever. Yeah, I'm a big person that writes things down that I want, like goals and dreams. And my ultimate goal was to originate a role in an original Broadway musical. So the fact that I got to create Kaylee, who her name used to be Mandy, 
And then they changed it at the last minute and they're like, Mandy sounds a little too 80s, so we're gonna change it to Kaylee. So anyway, just a little <laughs> tidbit for you. So it's been so much fun. I mean, the script has changed a lot, so I got to do a lot of fun things over the years. It's been an absolute dream being able to create her. And it's fun being a mean girl, you know? Yeah. Like, so it's great. Well, your show also uh, tackles head-on uh, homophobia. How is doing a show that's actually getting um, a message across? And I mean, have the audience has been receptive to that? And is... Yeah, thankfully they have. It's really special just because we know that we're making a difference in so many, especially young people's lives. Maybe they were hesitant to come out to their parents or their family or their friends and they tell us that seeing the show has given them the strength and the courage to finally come out or they feel better about being themselves and things like that. I think that's really special that doesn't always, always happen. So I'm grateful to be a part of a show that has a deeper meaning and do it in a comedic way. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. So Kat, what two roles do you understudy in the show? Um, I understudy uh, Julie Nichols, played by the amazing Lily Cooper. Yes. And I understudy Sandy Lester, which is played by both now Tony-nominated Sarah Styles. Those are two great, completely different roles. Completely different roles. And I feel like they are like two sides of the same like female actor coin. Because yeah. we also get to play actors. We get to like play, it's a play about our business. So yeah. they kind of highlight both ends of our yourselves. Yeah. So, yeah. but you also have uh, understudied before, didn't you understudy yeah. Ava Perone on the national tour of Vita? I did, I did. And I believe I remember social media that you went on. I did, a couple times. Yeah. So, now come on, you've got to play <laughs> Ava Perone. Now you have to tell me about that. She was great, I was there. <laughs> oh my god, you were there. You saw the chaos. It was really like the craziest contract of my whole life because I'd never replaced before, I'd never done such a big dance track before. So when you replace, like, you're the only one rehearsing. So mm -hmm. it's just you and the entire team just staring at you and giving you notes on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. So that was very intense, just learning that ensemble track. And then I was really, it was so, um, Seth Lorhein was our, was the guy who, our amazing director and leader of the tour, and he did all these Skype calls with me to talk about, like, Ava's character and really get into depth about how they've envisioned her in this revival. and. So I really, it was an, a really cool process to then get to slowly learn this role, which is just a beast, man. She's only not on stage for like two songs of the two and a half hours. Wow. Oh my gosh. And every time in this revival, I don't know if that's always the case, but in this revival, every time she leaves the stage, or pretty much every time, I think she has seven changes where she changes wig, jewelry, shoes, and into her entire costume as well. And they're fully choreographed changes because they're all under 30 seconds. Oh my so it's just a little, like half of the show that you have to learn is the backstage track as well. And the very first time I went on in the second act, she would change from like a low bun with the beautiful braid that she comes out on the Casa Rosada to sing Don't Cry For Me. And then she changes after uh, the next scene into like her sick wig, which is the same bun but without the braid. Okay. It's a very subtle difference, but you know, <laughs> part of the design. And I remember that changes extremely fast and it made me so nervous. And when I did my put in, they wouldn't do the wig changes. So I had to just hope that the first time I went on, oh that all went. And so that during that change, I would go, don't change my wig, don't change my wig. And they just left the wig with the braid on for the rest of the show. So I was like, <laughs> I can't handle it, I need a second to breathe. <laughs> Honestly, it was the coolest experience. I had an amazing cast of people who literally just like so much love and shove with love moved me around the stage when yeah. I needed it. Nothing I don't think will ever be that hard in terms of going on for someone. Oh, no. So it really has made every understudy experience since then just a dream because it, it, it won't be like that yeah and it's a large dance track too for it me. was yeah rob ashford doesn't mess around yeah i so. mean i was like ava is 
kicking out there. Oh yeah, and she, yes, oh my gosh, and she, he has her doing everything. And we had Caroline Bowman and Desi Oakley as our Ava and standby. So I also didn't, wasn't necessarily stressed about going on too often because we had two Avas to begin with. So I was the last line of defense. <laughs> we also changed you on stage. I yep. just remembered that. Full, full we made a club and we full on, because I remember I had to like help with the skirt. Like yeah. That was like in my track. You can watch it on YouTube, like both the Broadway and the touring company. During, as she's screaming D's in Rainbow High, she is having her entire costume changed. She's being dressed by seven people on stage. Oh, my oh God. that one, and then the one into Money. Remember Money was a Holy costume. shit, that was a quick change on stage. That was a quick change on I stage. Forgot. yep. It's full of tricks. That's a hard ass role. It's really hard. <laughs> and the first time I went on, Rob Ash had come out to Dallas. By the time I went on Sunday for the Sunday matinee, we had done 13 shows because we had two put-ins and Rob Ashford was there to run oh. the show. Oh my god. So I, it was, my poor husband was there and he was like, you did great, but I know I was a little deer in headlights, just fear and exhaustion. How could you not be? Yeah. Oh my god. The second time was much more relaxed and yeah. wonderful. But that's how I think I saw that you were on, because he posted about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that, that, that yeah. Makes sense. So Eric, the hardest job on Broadway is to be a swing. Mm -hmm. I mean, hands, down. Yeah, and yes. um, they are like I always say that the ensemble is the backbone. The swings are like the spinal cord. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So how has your swing experience been? Have you swung before? I have swung before. I'm one of those like career swings. Most of the time I've been a swing, except for Evita. Randomly, I replaced like in an ensemble track that understudied no one. Just had to show up, kick my face, okay. hope for the best. <laughs> Being a swing in Beetlejuice is super intense, but also super fun. Again, going back to like talking about the audition process where it was very important for everyone to be an individual and stand on their own. It gives me the opportunity to kind of like step into someone else's shoes and bring what they're bringing, be their piece of the machine mm. in a way that is both stretching my own understanding of myself and what I have to give as a performer and also just the brain mechanics of, okay, can I reverse this choreography? Okay, last time I was on, I was on the other side of the stage. Okay, what do, what do I need to do now? And then all the little band-aids that we know of the, the modern musical of like, okay, that ensemble track brings on this prop that literally is referenced for the next 15 minutes, so if you fuck it up, you're gonna ruin the play. You know, and it was like, all those weird little things that you know happen, it's crazy. It's crazy. Beetlejuice is crazy in the most delightful way as far as the stage business. There's a literal break dancer that I understudy. There's a man in his 60s that I understudy. I technically am the second cover for our two ensemble women who are fly girls at one point. It's rich. I want to see that. Like, I know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. So good. That's I'm so understudy for another woman that we just call my life. Dime store drag look because <laughs> that's what I look like because I have I literally have the Brian Darcy James of eyebrows just like two two thick thick eyebrows on my face and they don't go into drag very well. <laughs> <laughs> so all three of you just came out off of some of the the busiest time of your life almost a week after the Tony Awards. So and I got to watch the Tony Awards and I saw all three of you so I was like this is awesome. <laughs> so how was that box to check being on the Tony Awards? It's wild. That day was long. So, so <laughs> the tea is that you you get there at the butt crack of dawn. Like I think our call to art theater crack. was. I think I was there at six thirty to get ready. You go to Radio City. You get on your bus. Everyone gets bussed in, which is a gag because the Winter Garden is literally an avenue over. We could have walked faster, but <laughs> protecting the costumes, protecting the gift. Mm, I like so that. you get there and. You see all the all the other Broadway shows come in, and it 
I don't know if you guys felt this, but my biggest takeaway of that whole day was just how supportive the community is of each other. Yeah. Seeing everyone that you have done shows with before, seeing the people that you like, you know, were a waiter with on 9th Avenue, now you're in Radio City performing the 20 Awards. It's like almost overwhelming than the actual broadcast is being surrounded by people who all had the same dream and you're like realizing it together. Mm. Like that's maybe the biggest part of it, at least for me. So then you run the whole show in the morning. I'm getting away from the point, getting sentimental. You run the whole show in the morning and then everyone leaves and you go and do your matinee if you have a matinee that day, which most shows do. Kat will tell you her story in a moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you go and do your matinee and then like an hour after the matinee, it's like, let's do what we did this morning. Same thing, you get into costume, you get on your bus, you go over to Radio City, it's time for the broadcast, you see very fancy people, lots of cameras and things, it's crazy. I Wild do day. have to add that that day was extra confusing because our choreography for the Tonys was different in the show, so we did the dress rehearsal, Tony choreography, went to do the matinee, and I was like, wait, what are we doing? Because it's different, and then you're so tired at night, I was like, I don't know what's gonna happen, like, if, because muscle memory is real, yeah. and I had to think so hard, I was like, please don't mess this up on the Tonys, please don't mess this up on the Tonys, because it was different, because yeah. with our little like, medley and all that, so that was a little extra brain thing uh, on no sleep, which is tricky. Yes. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Did you have a good time, though? It was the best Absolutely. night ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just had my wedding, so that was obviously amazing and the best day ever, but the Tonys was like, I will never forget that. It was incredible. Yeah. That stage, looking out at all those people, oh my gosh. That was awesome. Yeah. And what about you, Kat? How was it? I, I think first preview and Tony night were the two, the most sentimental, the most emotional, the most sort of moving. But it was the whole week, I think, leading up to, to the Tonys because the opening number included everybody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our, other than there's one other girl, Diana Baden, um, who's making her brother debut in Tootsie, but everybody else, and it, like everybody else, is, we're talking 7th, 8th, 12th, Broadway show, so it's just a room full of vets, and everyone really took the time to say, like, this is really special, just so you know, this mm. doesn't always happen, where, like, everybody does the opening number together. We're in the lobby of Radio City, and Andre DeShields and Kelly O'Hara and I are all in a group <laughs> yeah. just around the piano learning some sheet music together, because nobody knows the lyrics, and so we're all just learning it simultaneously in this very band campy kind of way, like, literally in the carpeted lobby, running around, <laughs> it, it was just... For everyone to be in that same position for all for these people who I've admired and listened to on soundtracks and yeah. just, you know, dreamed about even coming being standing next to me, let alone being on the same stage with. It was surreal on just a thousand levels. And then the morning of because we got to do this little pass uh, with Santino in the opening of the opening number, we waited in the wings while James Corden did that bit with the couch and all those extraordinary dancers came out. Oh yeah. So we just stood there and watched that happen and then got to sort of sweep across the stage and just standing with Beth Level and like, you know, just the every amazing leading actor, all the temps were there. It was just this crazy hodgepodge of talent. And I, I actually, one of our um, cast members, John Bellman, who's amazing and hilarious and also a great photographer, got a picture of me just <laughs> in full That's gleaming, awesome. like uh, awe. So yeah, I don't know, I could go on for hours. The day was surreal, the week was surreal. My life is made. It was amazing. That's so awesome. It's funny because yeah. the, the last time I was in the Tonys, people were not nice to each other. Like, <gasps> no. Oh, the shows were like, 
really like, I mean, I, there's best friends who were, uh, one was in my show, one was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and they were fighting, like, wow. when people were like, were ignoring each other backstage after numbers, it was so. Which show were you at? Uh, Spam a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was, I think, so, that's so great to hear that it was like a nice atmosphere. I mean, the Tonys yeah. were great, but the shows, we did not feel like a community. We felt that's like so interesting. competition. Wow. And I was like, this is, I mean, it was awesome, but this was like, oh my god. Like, well, I didn't realize how much the game, what, a, like, the month leading up to Tony's, the campaign is real. I didn't realize how serious the campaign is. Yeah. yeah. I didn't either. I had no idea. No, yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. Like, 50% of the Tony voters are the touring houses, so it's all about, yeah. like, who can market this show in Omaha, Nebraska, which right. shows, yep. I mean, will they like a cross-dresser, lesbians, or ghosts, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, right. who are they gonna like, you know what I mean? And you're like, I shouldn't speak for anyone, but I, I, knowing all of that, I was like, I'm friends with these people. I want everyone to have a job. I want everyone's show to like run and be successful. We're not, we're young, we're young, we're very young, but we've also been <laughs> at it for a minute, yeah. <laughs> you know? So. I know these people. I've been cut from auditions with these people. Yeah. I've seen them succeed. They've come to see my shows. I've come to see their, like, we're a community. We're, we're one of the greatest communities. Absolutely. Well, the stage manager, was, he was already, or he was the director. I, I'm not actually sure who it was. The, the morning of the rehearsal, he said, he was like, I do the opening numbers for the Oscars and for the Emmys, and I have to say, this is the most supportive group I've ever yeah. worked with. He was like, it's a really special thing. It's a special thing that you guys are doing this number all together. So just take stock today, because this is this doesn't happen in the arts. Yeah, that was pretty cool. At this level. Like, just to watch, I was like, that's everybody. Yeah, yeah. everybody. Was do, too. Doing that, oh my gosh. I mean, I said I cry all the time. I was literally crying on stage. It was so overwhelming. Oh. We're all up there, and we're all getting to do this. It was crazy. It was standing awesome. over Radio City. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, know. I know. Just tears. Yeah. Yeah. So, Becky, you did something crazy uh, on top of uh, opening the prom and getting ready for the prom. You got married right before you opened? Well, so we got married in April. But the planning leading up to it, I was doing tech and opening and all that kind of stuff. So I don't recommend anyone do that. It's not a good idea. <laughs> I was definitely really stressed out, for sure. But it all worked out. And now I'm married and I never see my husband because I'm on the Broadway schedule, but it's okay. It's all good. So, uh, Kat, one thing that I, I remember about you is that you are very focused and you're very driven. One thing that I think it was one of the first times I ever had to do it, you and I had to like have a stand up for ourselves about something that was... We did. And we did it very respectfully, but if I, I began like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always remember that, like, we had to be like, we need to say something. So I like that about you. So being such a strong person, strong woman, and you talked about the discouragement, how you dealt with the discouragement when you when you have the personality of someone who has fire. Thanks for that, by the way. The mechanism that I found that worked for me best, because I think anybody in this industry, and actually I was just talking about this with Julie Halston, the Dame Julie Halston, uh, yeah. um, about just no matter how high you get in this business, the lows are inevitable. Like you will never just live up there. So finding a way to cope with the discouragement and the nose is integral to survival. You will not be able to stick it out, I don't think, unless you find a way to be okay with those heartbreaks. And I think treating them like heartbreak was the best thing for me. Was giving, if it was, no matter how, like depending on how much I wanted the job and how far along in the process I was, I would give myself like one to five days mm. after I got a no to really be sad. Like really sit home with my ice cream or binge watch um, Sex and the City or whatever yeah. it was. You know, and some contracts took longer than others to more. <laughs> yeah. But I found if I didn't let myself be sad, if I didn't really say like, yes, I really wanted that. I walked into that room. I gave my whole heart and soul. And I started planning in my head, fantasizing about the contracts and the money and the schedule yeah. and the travel, whatever it was. If I really didn't take the time to 
to mourn that loss and that mini dream that I had, then I couldn't get over it faster. And if I gave myself a couple days, then I could bounce back a little easier. So I think acknowledging the fact that this is a weird business, it's not, it's not just business. There's nothing about it that's just business. It's deeply personal every time. That's part of what makes you good at your job is yeah. letting it be personal in that way. And so because of that sacrifice and what you have to give, I think you also owe it to yourself to, to be sad and to let those dreams, you know, mourn and, and move on that way. I think you can recover faster that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of recovery, Eric, injuries are so prevalent in, in this business. And you are flipping, you are dancing. The Beetlejuice Act 2 number, just, I, I felt like I got injured watching it. Oh my God. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. <laughs> I so, can't the top of Act 2, I don't think this is a spoiler because it's in our, our B-roll that's been released. The top of Act 2 starts with every member of the ensemble being a clone of Beetlejuice. He clones himself. And it just is like this human experience of what can humans do with their bodies if they're all supposed to represent this character that is a demon ghost who's not of this world. So anything is kind of possible. Um, and then there's a ton of sight gags on top of just like physical feats. There's um, a man in the show who literally walks on his hands on top of a table and flips over people. All the tumbling in the world, tours to jump splits. Yeah. It's crazy. The other fun part of Beetlejuice is that the way our set is, there's a giant stage-wide unit that is the house unit, and it's actually raked. It's at a slight rake, which just coincidentally is where all of the numbers happen, is in the house on the rake. Right. Just to add insult to injury, that's how it happens. The thing about it is that it's very consistent and it's very set. So everyone is safe, everyone knows what they're showing up to do, so you just prepare. Like when you know, like when you know you're gonna go run a marathon, like you're not gonna go like run 12 miles the day before. Like you'd be a bastard. Why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? You set yourself up for failure. So it's just about being smart and knowing to listen to your body and make sure that you do an actual warm up and not just kind of like stand in one position and stretch your legs, but like, do a push-up, get your heart rate up, do all those things you actually have to do. Now granted, five, six, seven years ago, I was like, oh yeah, just like swing my leg up by my face, and I was like, I'm good to go, it's all good. Not anymore, not anymore. Yeah. We're all athletes, you know what I mean? And so it's, you have to I mean, make sure, and also realize that injuries are gonna happen, and that, you know, that's par for the course, that you're gonna wrap it, and knowing when to call out, and when to like, the show must go on, I think it's, very difficult. And most of the time it's freak when it happens. Like you like step on something wrong. Like I've sprained my ankle stepping off of a curb before. Like all I do is step off the curb. What happened? Don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just my time, I guess. No, I sprained my ankle our first week of previews. And I think if I had been in a different headspace or if I was like 22, I would have panicked and not called out. But I was like, just take, the doctor was like, take the day. I was like, I'll take the day. That's yeah. what our incredible swings, so Sissy Bell, our extraordinary, one of our amazing swings, stepped in and, you know, hadn't been rehearsed, God forbid. You know, she just had to put, like, pull it all together, but like, yeah. she's incredible. But that's what they're there for. Our amazing swings are there for. Yeah. And if you don't take that time, then that's when like long-term injury happens, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. So. so I think we all grew up with like this big, like vision of Broadway that it's like this a uh, uh, bigger than everything and it's like angels and everything like that, and then you actually get there and what and not in a bad way. What was the thing that shocked you the most, or and not disappointed, but you're like, oh, this is very different. This isn't what I was expecting. 
You know, I mean, I know for like for me, some of the theaters like there'd be like dead pigeons in some of the vents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like because the backstage is just not that. You in a quick change and like you hear a pigeon stuck in a vent. And you're like, like that thing's gonna die in there. And then you smell it like two days later. I mean, yeah. it's and the rain and it leaks backstage. I mean, because they're just old New York buildings. Right. And I think some of the touring houses are like so much nicer than Broadway houses. Right. So what is something that was kind of shocking when you got to Broadway that wasn't what you fantasized as a nine-year-old? The backstage, I mean, that's a good thing to bring up because it's not like you're in a beautiful building at all whatsoever. I mean, we have cockroaches and mice and <laughs> everyone comes to Belongacre. I mean, but you know, they are. You're in New York City. It's like every building is like that, no matter how nice it is. But anyway, that was something I was surprised by. Also, when you're dreaming about Broadway, for me, I didn't think about the every day of it because you don't feel 100% great every single day. But you still have to show up and give 100% of yourself to the audience, regardless of how you feel. They don't care if you have a cold. What do you have to do to make sure you're going to be fine and get through the show when you have a cold one day? You know, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but things you have to deal with. And then just the fact that my entire day, every single thing I do leading up to the show has to prepare me to be able to get through the show and give 100%. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of dedication. It's a lot of hard work. I think it's all worth it. But you don't think of it as necessarily a real job when you're dreaming about it. Mm. There are days where it's wonderfully fun and I'm like, wow, I'm living my dream. And some days I'm like, ooh, how am I going to get through this? You just got to do it because it's your job. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, how, how many flights of stairs is your dressing room? Um, I counted the stairs one time for a two-show day, and it's around 600, and that's just going up. So that's how many I do, like, on a two-show day. Yeah. Fun. And dressers go up and down those with oh, baskets of shoes. Oh, my God. Yes. I, I don't understand. Like, I know. They need PT sessions all themselves oh. because it's insane. Yeah. Yes. How about you, Cam? What was the thing that was shocking? Um, well, very fortunately, at the Marquee Theater, which was recently renovated and yes. attached to the hotel, we do not have any of those, any of those like, so quirks. So the backstage of the Marquee is... Great. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's beautiful and clean. And also, I got locked out one night, but it's a hotel, so I was able to get sneak into the theater because it's not doesn't shut down. So that was a blessing. I think the the biggest thing was we have a, our our principal company is nine you know like incredible, smart, very successful comedians, um, and they to see how human it is, how it's still there's still like curiosity and insecurities and questioning not of themselves necessarily but like of the material and I guess watching the process be so candid and and maybe that was a unique experience because of our director Scott Ellis and like the sort of the group that we had but just seeing just how human it is it's not a machine it's still a wonky exciting weird flawed creative process yeah I guess just watched like recognizing that it's it's just a bunch of humans just like me, other artists who have their up days, have their down days, are, are trying to find it the same way we are, and there's no answers. And no matter how many shows you've done or how many things you've made, I don't think you ever like know exactly how to move forward in anyone. You know, you have to find it for yourself every day. So, yeah, I guess just how human it is. Because yeah. it's sort of like what you said when we started, that it's accessible. This thing isn't this, it's not this ethereal experience. It's a bunch of people who wrote a show, and seven years later, after all this hard work, it's now finally come to fruition. Yeah. yeah. This is a little off topic, but my my idol is in your show. Uh, Michael McGraw is like oh, my idol. I've been following his his career, oh his two scenes in the show, and he gets the biggest laugh in the, sh the whole show from a tiny door opening. A crack, like he cracks the door. It literally stops the show every night. Uh, it, it's brilliant, and so it's like I'm, I mean, so I, I love it. I mean, that's one thing. Watching during the rehearsal process, watching. You get to watch these people and understand. Yes. When you understand these people, you're like, I'm observing greatness all the time. 
mm-hmm. and I'm going to steal from them for my whole life. <laughs> yes. Forever. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Like Sarah Styles, all of her comedic moments, I'm just like, put them in my pocket. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So great. What about you, Eric? I think it's a little bit of the same as what Kat is talking about. It's always fun to, to see people that you idolize and listen to on their umpteen cast recordings that they've been on. You know, I think somewhere there's many CDs that are featuring like Carrie Butler and <laughs> Leslie Kritzer and Rob McClure and, and Alex Brightman and all these people who have had such a hold on the business of musical theater for so long and rightfully so to then take what was so far away in just a recording and watch them do the work during a rehearsal process and previews and then eight times a week. It's amazing to see the well that people have as artists that they can just pull from. Alex Brightman literally, I, that, that well goes to the center of the earth. That man has so many tools in his toolbox that will make me belly laugh until like it's annoying, until it's like, will you please shut up? It's just mind blowing to see that these people have to come in and do the work every day. It's not just like, oh, I'm here, I got it. Like, no, everyone warms up. Everyone has a job to do. Mm-hmm. It is work. It is a dream job, but it's still a job. Job is still at the end of that. Dream, job. It right. is a job. Yeah. And then you, plus you're going to have understudy rehearsals. And I mean, you guys have a, hopefully like a year before you start having replacements. But you mean it's going to already start now that you're going to have a couple, like a month breather. And then it's just going to start. The machine starts moving. Yeah. yeah. We actually had an understudy on last night and today. Rob McClure is officiating his sister's wedding. Oh. And Sean Montgomery oh. has stepped into his shoes. Very lovely and great. So we already had a put-in this so we, week. Yeah, we so had two we, put-ins yeah. before we even did the Tonys. Because wow. Jeff went in, I mean, and similar, I just to say, like, watching the process of how people stay, like, Santino is a seemingly a machine. I mean, his, literally, his voice never cracks, his body never dies. He just has, like, energy and talent for days. Same with that. It's crazy I to watch it. I don't understand. They're not human or something. Mm-hmm. But then you realize, like, I remember we were in tech one day with Santino, and somebody asked him, like, oh, your voice just has no break. He was like, well, you study voice for 37 years, you can have friends or you can have a voice with no break. <laughs> it's, like that. it's true though. It I love when people show you the work and are yes. like, yeah. He's like, no, it's not. It was a so choice. Much. It Thank was a you choice. so much for your compliment, but like, I worked for this. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's amazing to see, like, especially at that level, oh she is gosh. the most human oh, person the there ever is. I mean, I saw her, uh, at, there was an Actors Fund um, benefit and she performed. Sarah Styles performed. Mm-hmm. I just waved to Beth afterwards, and she was like, "Oh, friendly face." She's like, "These things make me so nervous." I was like, <laughs> "I know." I was like, well, "These, I, these I, things." Like, I was like, "Oh my god!" You I know what I mean? And she was in a beautiful dress, and she was like, "It looks so nice." And I was like, "Yes." These people have insecurities, you know. I bumped into Leslie Kritzer, and uh, I was just like, "Oh, sorry, you were really good at the show." She's like, "Wait a minute, do I know you?" And I was like, "You're gonna talk to me?" And like, we <laughs> talked about her second act number, which was my favorite number in the show. It's wild. And I actually didn't know it was her. So I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> it's uh, wild. I had no idea it was her. Which was interesting for a principal character to play a dual role. I mean, I don't know how they got away with that contractually, but it is so worth it. It's bananas. Yes, it is. It is. She's brilliant. And I remember Santino is just, even when he was the prince, I was like, in Cinderella, I was like, I like this guy's take on it. It's very... Like unusual, so I mean, just to watch these things as because all three of you are like principals in the making too. So of all the things that have happened in your life, and it doesn't even have to be these shows. 
What has been like your most proud moment in your life or your career? I mean, I have to say performing on the Tonys. I, I don't know what can beat that. Yeah. I really don't. I mean, this year has just been me getting married and the Tonys and Broadway View, all those things. I'm like, I mean, everything's downhill from here because it's just beats <laughs> completely and yeah. it's been amazing. Performing on the Tony Awards, I mean, we were all just crying happy tears afterwards. Yeah. I can't go, I can't talk about it enough. Yeah. It, it was the best. I loved that. And you don't live in Jackson Heights anymore? No, I live in the middle of Jersey now, so got a little commute, but... So you're like an official, like, married like married woman now and lives yes. in Jersey in the house? And, exactly. And I love that when you briefly talk about meeting your husband, it took you a long time to, like, to find him and fall in love and to see compatible with this schedule and is he a theater person? Not at all. He does life insurance, which is, like... Totally different, obviously, but he's really understanding and supportive of anything that makes me happy, even though we don't see each other right now. But we will, because it's, you know, yeah, everything's yeah. temporary in this business. So. There's Mondays. <laughs> There's Mondays. You'll have Mondays. Yes, and, uh, you know, we make it work. Yeah. So what about you, Kat? What has been something that's been amazing? I mean, truly, this whole, the last five months, the whole year, like, from the minute I got Tootsie last year and then we did a dance lab and then we did Chicago and now here it's been a dream and but I think probably like the moment where I felt like shocked I think because I'm just not young enough for this to have been like shocking as much as it was surreal and wonderful um I like auditioned for a show at Goodspeed on a Thursday booked it on Friday morning and then had to drive up there Monday morning and Monday night we were it was a new musical called The Great American Massacre and it had been written and was going to be directed by Julie Andrews and I just didn't, I didn't read it. I didn't know that when I got the job. I knew it was Chris Catelli, who I was like such a huge fan of and got to meet him in the room. And so we got up there and they're like, oh, we'll do a little meet and greet um, in the basement. So it's like in the basement of the Goodspeed. And they're like, oh, you can come meet Julie now. I was like, oh, okay. And I just walked around and sure enough, sitting on the couch is Julie Andrews. And I, it took everything in me to keep my legs underneath me. I couldn't even, I could barely stand. I was just in awe. And then I got to spend four months working with her, which was a dream. Oh but I think God. that was like, that was like one of the most shocking, meaningful moments. Cause it was like, there's no bells and whistles. We're not on Broadway. There's no big contract to be had right now. This is just you meeting your idol of idols in a basement in Connecticut. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> Which was really surreal. So, yeah. yeah. And your husband is also in the business as well. He's a musician. He is. He no longer does theater, but he definitely, he's st he has a 15-piece funk band now called oh, The wow. Funk Project, um, and a small music company with that. And then also he's got his own duo that he writes and, and is hopefully going to record an album this year with, so... Cool. Yeah, in the bit like lives on the periphery, which is nice because he gets it. He, he understands. He does it. get it. Yeah. So that's really good. And it's so because I think it's it's hard, especially in tech, when you're like, okay, I'll see you after the Tony. See you in a couple mm -hmm. months. Yeah. 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 How about you, Eric? Without sounding like a cliche, all of it. I I feel. What's the great thing about having a career is that the bar kind of constantly gets reset, mm. where you can ping pong between one experience and then kind of say like, oh. Now, like, my dream job at, at this moment in time would be to, like, replace in something and say, just tell me where to stand. I don't need to go through a tech process. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where things constantly change and all of a sudden all the notebooks are full and you've killed 18 trees and, you know? I don't know. Getting my equity card was huge. I remember that being huge. I remember getting my first national tour and that being huge. I mean, the Tony Awards have to be the most 
meaningful thing for me personally because that was my access to Broadway. I grew up in Michigan. That I didn't see anything at a roadhouse before I could see it on TV. Mm. You know, I remember being glued to that television. Right, it, it would always fall like in the last week of, of public school on like you know a Sunday. And I just remember being glued to my television and, and being enamored by things that I didn't fully understand what was happening. So to then go full circle and be performing in them, that was wild and magical. And, and you know, if I could tell that nine-year-old little gay boy that he was going to be on the Tony Awards, I mean, he, he would have shit his pants. <laughs> I, legitimately. I mean, yeah. it's just crazy. It's yeah. crazy to think that we all just had that opportunity. A week ago, less than a week ago. Less than a week it ago. Almost, I can't quite register yet. I feel like it'll settle in like six months from now or years from now and I can like be like, oh yeah, that was, it almost feels like it didn't happen. I feel like that too. Yeah. yeah. Or when you go into some gay bar on Musical Mondays <laughs> and all of a sudden you look on this television and there's your Tony clip and you'll be like, what? Yeah. That, that, that's always one of those things. <laughs> so, uh, and your, your partner, uh, is he in the business? He is, he is. He's done two Broadway shows. He very much gets it. He's gotten to do all of these things, be on a cast recording in the Tonys and Macy's. So every time he just like does that wonderful thing and is like, enjoy this, enjoy oh. this, enjoy. This. He's the most supportive. He's the best. What if I? What if I was like, no, he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and let me give you the latest on this podcast. He really doesn't get it. No, Chip Abbott is so wonderful and supportive, and I luck out that I'm with someone who is in the biz and understands it fully. The hours, the time. I know I love you. I'm on for a track that I haven't looked at in a minute, so I would love a coffee, and I'm gonna sit on the couch and look at my notes. If there was a, a piece of advice you could tell a younger version of yourself, and it could be a younger version of you at any age, it could be a, a discouraged version, it could be a nine-year-old nine gay boy, and you could just be like, oh, I wish I could tell myself that, what would it be? I would just say to try to enjoy the journey, mm. because it sounds cliche, but it did take me longer than I thought it would to get to Broadway, and there were so many times where I would just be frustrated or comparing myself to others like why hasn't it happened for me yet but if I enjoyed the time in between because I think like what Kat said earlier it's like everything I've done has led me to this moment and I should have I wish I would have appreciated every little step more mm. you know so yeah wherever you are just try to make the most of it and so it'll make the time pass in a more enjoyable way than you sitting there being frustrated that it's not happening yet because your time will come you just gotta stick it out and try to have more fun along the way yeah I love that a lot because I feel like it's a it's an impossible thing almost in the moment. But to it, me, yes. yeah. I think the other thing is people always said like if you have a fallback, you will fall back. And I think maybe at some point that was the case, but especially in this day and age when you can run a business from your laptop, that's not the case. And I I really put off like software engineering was kind of alluring to me because my brother does it and for a long time and I didn't do it because I thought it meant that I was failing. Then on Kinky, on the Kinky Boots tour, I started to learn it online and my brother lives in Greece and he would Skype with me a couple times a week and like work with me on things and so I got to do it while I was on the road, which was exciting to do a little bit of both. And then by the time I got back to New York after tour and I and school was four months, which is why software engineering is also really awesome. You can like change your whole life in three months. I don't really even know what software engineering is. Fair. It's it's literally like the. It's the mechanics and the logic behind like what makes a website look like what it does on your on your screen or okay. what makes a, an app look like an app and how it functions. Is it like, mostly coding then? It's or? all coding. Yeah, software oh. engineering is coding. It's, it's like computer programming. Oh wow. Yeah. So you're smart too, huh? <laughs> smart and <laughs> 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 it. 
it gave me such a sense of autonomy in our business. Like it reinvigorated my love of the business because I also had this other tool that so all of my self-worth wasn't in every audition room. For me, that was a big change and I wish I'd, I'd trusted that sooner. The idea is if you have other passions, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It just, you really can integrate it. I did, I did this whole year of Tootsie while teaching online at the same time. I was teaching for the school that I went to online and doing the show in Chicago. And like, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be one or the other. The business will go up and down. Having other things that you love will only make you a more interesting artist. You'll have more to say. Yeah. So like, I think just, yeah, it doesn't have, it's not black or white anymore. Or if it, if it was. So. Yeah. Well, I think that's important because I know for me, I'm, I mean, and I'm in my 40s, like realizing that my self-worth isn't what I give on stage is so hard. I'm just learning it now. So the fact that you learned it in your late 20s is wonderful to realize that like, it's not all about working at the Winter Garden. It's also about your soul and your passion. And it just, it makes it much happier the other way. And I do that something I wish I knew earlier. It's like only valuable when I was working. You yeah. know what I mean? I wouldn't date if I wasn't working because <laughs> I was like, who would want to date an unemployed actor? You know what I mean? Because I had felt like I had no value. As a dancer and ensemble too, I feel like it's extra. It feels even more so like you're a technician than you are like an artist. Like then like they care what you have to say so yeah. much as they need you to cake face. Yeah, exactly. And same on 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how about you? What would you tell? Oh, you know, I don't know who said this to me, but two things actually. Two things have always stuck with me. The first, someone talking about the career was like, in what we do, it's not about climbing the ladder, it's about staying on the ladder which I always loved, and I think about that oftentimes, of, of just Stay roll with it, be there, and then the other one is happy to be here, ready to work. Like, just be present, be happy to be there, because there is joy to find in every situation, and if you can't, then you need to get out of that situation. Like, that's not where you're supposed to be. We've all done contracts where We've been with people who haven't been the best company members, and you can see it bring down the morale. And the truth of what we do is very few people in our industry are offer only. So yeah. <laughs> no one is holding us hostage to be at any of these jobs. So if you're not happy to be there, make room for someone that is. Because what, what happens on stage is important, it is. But again, we're a community, and every show closes, so there's going to be the next one. Don't you want to be the person who's lovely to be around or like, I'd love to grab a drink with him. Yeah. I'd love to like, you know, go shopping in Soho with her. What a treat. Yeah. <laughs> Not like, oh, that asshole. No. Uh, uh, boo. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. Well, this has been an amazing interview. I, I, I love it. Cause I know even me, I'm like, I get, down on this business and so just remember like oh this is why I do it and why I love it and um, especially people that I like I've worked with and I've seen them on stage and I was like oh someday they'll be up on Broadway and then this season I've seen all three of you. Well have either of you um, the Beetlejuice and Tootsie had anyone from the movies come yet? We did. We had oh, nice. um, we had Catherine O'Hara come. Oh and she introduced you at the Tonys. Oh, yes and she she introduced us at the Tonys. It was wild. She's so cool. I recommend everyone meet her. She, <laughs> sorry girl, you, you're gonna be busy. She's so funny, so charming. She was dressed a little bit like Moira Rose of Schitt's Creek, so oh. I like loved it. <laughs> I was like, yes girl, get it. She's amazing. So silly, so Canadian too. And <laughs> just so, oh. I no, we haven't had 
yeah. from Dustin, come see us. But Paul Huntley, who did our wigs, did the wigs for Dustin Hoffman in the movie. That's cool. Oh, wow. So there is some continuity there. Wow. I heard that actually Jodie Foster showed up at Silence of the Musical without telling anyone <gasps> in a hat and then absolutely loved it. But like went and saw Silence the Musical. You know? Damn. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. I love Silence the I didn't musical. get to see it. Oh, I didn't get to see it. It was featured a full on Jimmy Ballet. It, like, yeah. Silence the Musical coming back. Come on back. Come on back. <laughs> and how cool. I mean, and the prom's not based on anything. A book? Was it ripped no. out of someone's head? Like, um, No, there were a few news stories that it was based off of. Because, I mean, the. What happens in the prom actually happens in real life still. People want to bring their same-sex partner to a prom and they're told no and there's a whole uproar about it. There were just a couple news stories. I don't think it was in Indiana. I think there was one in Mississippi or something. Completely original, but they are turning it into a Netflix film, so. Oh, right. Yeah, what? so that's exciting, yeah. And is, uh, is Casey, I mean, because Ryan Murphy's doing it, right? Yeah, Casey's still going to be involved, as well as our producers, but it's a complete film adaptation, so some people think it's like, oh, they're filming the Broadway show, you know, like mm -hmm. they did for Newsies, but it's not that. It's going to be completely new. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much. I'll let you guys get back to you guys have evening shows now. But I always end this with a, a song of what's going on, so I'll have a mashup of, of three different songs. So if you could pick a song that's going on right now in your life, it can be music theater, it can be pop, it can be anything. Uh, what right now represents you? Don't think I'm a garbage person for this. Well, I cannot get out of my ears the new Carly Rae Jepsen album. It's Everything is a Bop. It is the album of the summer for me. Can't get enough of it. There's a great song called Is This Too Much? And she's literally like, ooh, is this too much? Am I it's, <laughs> it's great. It's a bop. I love that. That's my truth. That's my <laughs> truth. Live, live your truth. Um, I actually, I saw this question when you sent it to us and I was like, I have no idea. But I, the song I have been listening to on repeat, um, very similarly, is Peggy Lee's um, Pass Me By. <laughs> and by that I mean not similar at all. Exact. Complete antithesis of Carly Rae Jepsen. But it's, uh, they featured it in Mrs. Maisel and like one of the opening sequences of one, of, I think it's the first episode of the second season. It is just an anthem for the ladies circa, you know, 1960s something I think. I love but that. But it's a great, it's a fun tune, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay, this is a really hard question, but I've been thinking about it all day. Okay. But I think a, a song I really like that makes me think of just life in my career is by Jordan Sparks. It's a pop song called One Step at a Time, because I think that's kind of my motto now. You know, you just got to go one step at a time, do your best, see what comes along for you, be open to it all. I think that's great. Oh, yeah. Well, thank Thanks. you guys so much for coming in between shows. Uh, yeah. The week after the awesome. So have a great time. Thank Bye. you. I got me ten fine toes to wiggle in the sand Lots of idle fingers snap to my command A lovely pair of heels that kick to beat the band Contemplating nature can be fascinating Add to these a nose that I can thumb And a mouth by gum have I To tell the whole darn world If you don't happen to like it, deal me out you kindly pass me by Pass me by Pass me by If you don't happen to like it Pass me by Am I bad for you? Cause I live for the fire And the rain and the drama too Boy And it feels like you Never say what you want And it feels like I can't get through 
chance In your face seems the door keeps slamming Now you're feeling more and more frustrated And you're getting all kind of impatient Oh, oh, oh. 